Today, we're discussing The Shape of Water. A film that is not about waterbending from Avatar The Last Airbender. Here on Slow Claps and Rewrites. Got my orgy giraffe mug and everything. <laughs> you may think there's tea in oh, here. Oh, those giraffes fucking. Yep. You may think there's tea in here, but you'd be wrong. It's wine. That a girl. I thought it looked awfully purple. I was like, is that hibiscus tea? <laughs> I do have hibiscus tea because you know what? I am part sloth. Well, you deserve hibiscus tea. Thank you. Hibiscus tea is, is a good thing and you should have a lot. I of should tea. have only good things from here on out. Okay, 2018? Yeah, yep. hear that? Get better. Shape up. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta earn be disciplined those with these years when they're young. Yeah. When it's, you know, it's only January. This year is still young. It can, it can correct its course. But if we get to April and shit's still. And we haven't set boundaries for it. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck. Then the ship has sailed. At that point, your relationship with the year is set and you can uh, just kind of walk away. But you're never really going to improve that relationship. It's just too fundamental. It's like me in 2016. We never room. talk anymore. Well, like we're, well, we're estranged. It was a strange year. Ah, yes, it was. Twas. Twas, Daniel. Twas indeed. I'm closing down any. the night before Christmas and Guillermo del Toro was being real creepy. Uh, Nothing really rhymes with del Toro. I was thinking about Edward Morrow. But I couldn't really get a get a good Benicio del Toro. <laughs> you can't rhyme Benicio del Toro with Guillermo del Toro. You can't do it. Yes, you can. I heard someone. Listen, if Journey can can rhyme on board with on board in Come Sail Away, then I can I can do whatever I want. Fair, fair. Or that one song that that I've got the magic in me. Uh, these tracks mm-hmm. they turn into gold. Me and gold do not rhyme. You have the magic in you? Uh, uh, that's what they tell me. The magic, magic, magic. You know what had the magic in it, actually, though? This movie. Ooh, look at you getting us right back. I know. I, I think we've, 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 just, we've done a little switcheroo. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny is my phone is all propped up nice-like with the I am IMDb page. Just so. Because I was like, eh, I'm going to forget names and, you know, stuff and things. I have to say, I was interested in seeing this movie, but Guillermo del Toro's acceptance speech at the Golden Globes really got me into it. Like, it got me, like, excited for it. His his description of monsters as... Uh, saviors. How we've... Yeah, as, as saviors was fascinating to me. And I'm just... Uh, it made me imagine a tiny little Guillermo del Toro if he was ever tiny um, <laughs> watching Frankenstein for the first time and how much that must have uh, meant to him yeah I mean we all have like our monsters in a way his just were actual physical monsters that like and he saw I feel like he sees them as more like where the wild things are than like creature from the black lagoon even though this was a little creature from the black lagoony yeah, Sorry. it was more like creature from the love lagoon. Oh God, don't get me started on that part. Yeah, I was I was interested in this movie based on just Guillermo. I, I tend to enjoy 
what he's getting after. And I always love his art direction and his set design and his costuming and props. That's always spectacular. His whole art direction vibe is always great. And it was in this movie as well, although be it a little more understated, a little more realistic than he has done in the past. Yeah, but it felt muted comparatively to like Pan's Labyrinth or, uh, oh gosh. Hellboy um, or anything. I was thinking like though, the, the one that he just had, the most recent one prior to this. Uh, uh, with with Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain. Oh, Crimson, Crimson Peak. Peak. That one also really I intense. I deleted that from my brain. <laughs> yeah, I only recently saw it, like this summer, and so that's why it's still it's still up there, along with the lyrics of this this summer's hit. I don't really know what it was called. They're like, why are you still in there? You're just taking up space. Um, exactly. But I I also loved Pan's Labyrinth. 100%. Like, I am a person who just, like, I, I went into Pan's Labyrinth with no expectations, and it, to this day, is one of my favorite films. Um, And I think it's it's an acquired taste for sure, especially if you do not like movies that are entirely in Spanish or, you know, if if you don't like uh, uh, endings that could be considered really, really sad, yet kind of happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. So if you're, it's fine. so if you're one of those She's people that that saw Five Hundred Days of Summer, and though they tell you it's a love story, you're still disappointed that it's not a love story. <laughs> those people would yeah. not like Ben's Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, but I think this to me was the most honoring of who he is as a filmmaker while striving to do something more I don't want to say mainstream but kind of I mean traditional Hollywood. I feel like it it felt it is mainstream comparatively when you're a foreign film you're primarily like foreign film or doing things that are like very fan basey like that come with fan it, base. it is but it didn't feel pandering no. like this is my everybody movie it felt more like I love old Hollywood um, I love old monster movies. I am somewhat interested in a Guillermo del Toro directed musical now, although we'll talk about the musical number that had. I was about to say, um, if we're talking about that one scene, I am not. <laughs> um, Only because of his appreciation for old school Hollywood musicals would I be interested to see what he could do. I'm not sure if I'd pay, but I'd like to see it. <laughs> Fair. Well, now that you have movie pass, you don't have Huzzah! to pay. This episode sponsored by Movie Pass. If only that would be great if Movie Pass would sponsor our podcast because you know who also just got a Movie Pass? That gal, that gal on the other end of this podcast. Yeah, how'd you know? Because you pointed at yourself when you said. And then I like, yes, and there was this big neon arrow towards me, and it got like kind of cartoonish for a second. No, I loved if if we kept the old Hollywood homages to those those little tap steps and like her. And her neighbor and their little like moment, those would have been great. I never want to eat pie again, which is something I didn't think I would ever say. But but no, I liked uh, Giles, played by Richard Jenkins. He he did a great job, and he had a lot more to do than um, Octavia Spencer did. Um, yes, which sort of lended to to liking him more I think he was so much more involved in in Eliza's story but I think 
Which I didn't expect. I just thought he'd kind of narrate and yeah. be like a, you know, a passerby character who interacted with her in the mornings when she brought sandwiches. Like their relationship was much deeper than that. It really was. And um, his little side plot story stuff was interesting, too. It added depth to it. It gave it gave us a place to go that wasn't the lab, you know? Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, I would just like to say... I feel like Doug Jones deserves far more credit as this kind of character. I feel like he is really what Andy Serkis should want to be as far as like these kind of creature actors. And I love, I mean, he plays two, he plays the two main like really roles in Pan's Labyrinth. And they're very, very different roles. And he's amazing in it. And then he's all, I mean, he's in, I think, every single one of Guillermo del Toro's films. Pretty well, yeah, much. and he's amazing. And he band? is, you know, amazing as the amphibian man. The, I have, obviously, my issues with a lot of it. But I just, since we can't really talk too much about him as, like, an actor, he's not going to get nominated for anything, uh, at least unless they're going to, like, pull a Judy Dench and just, you know, be like, you showed up! Congratulations, you get a nomination. Um I feel like I would really like to see the world know who he is. I, I feel similarly, I think his name is, I, I don't want to say his name incorrectly, but Bill Irwin. So Bill Irwin is kind of, he used to do more, um, uh, not slapstick, but he would do, um, it was almost miming Charlie Chaplin-esque film, but he is more of a side character in a lot of films. I the first one I remember specifically was when M Night Shyamalan did Lady in the Water, another good side uh, side title that we could come up with, Lady in the Water. Um, <laughs> but uh, he was he was like the voice of Tars in Interstellar, and he I think did you end up seeing uh, did you end up seeing Legion? Did you watch all of it? Uh, I didn't finish Legion. Uh, well, he was Carrie. No, I'm a bad, he's, bad. He's man. in all the episodes, so he was Carrie. Um, and I'm trying to think now. I'm gonna look through. He's Imdaba. Uh, but yeah, he's been in. He's been in a lot of things as like voices or as like these secondary characters. But he was the he was this one guy in Lady in the Water, and he was probably the only thing I really liked about Lady in the Water. And he was the guy that stayed inside watching the news all day. And and he had this very interesting opinion of the world because that's how he saw the world was through these news flashes. And it's basically the worst of the worst, which, you know, it was M. Night Shyamalan's very heavy handed uh, discussion of what was wrong with uh, our our nation and the world as a whole. So and the nation's response was, it's you, M. Night. Go away for a while and come back with smaller budget pictures. <laughs> Produce only. Um, but yeah, so he, but I loved him. I, I love him and I sort of see Doug Jones as a similar kind of character, uh, actor where no one really knows who he is, uh, but he's, I feel like everything he does, he does really, really well, even if it's not a great film. This is why we need a new category at the Oscars for best representative performance. We need... Uh, so that Circus, Doug Jones, and any voiceover actors, if you do motion capture or anything that is heavily prosthetic like this, I, I think 
motion capture and voiceover work needs to be recognized at some point. So listen up, Academy. I'm putting you on notice. You know what would be very interesting is kind of along those lines, you know, the movie In a World, um, mm-hmm. kind of going around with that, those those characters, those those kinds of people who really don't get a lot of cred. No one knows their names. They just know of them. Right. I mean, Andy Serkis has definitely brought things more predominantly into, like, uh, the, 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 mainstream yeah, the mainstream, the, like, focus of everything. And him as Gollum, like, kind of changed everything. But in general, that's not really how it goes. And so it would be kind of cool to see, like, a group of those kind of people who are really well known for, like, their creatures or their funny voices or something. Like, kind of how Maria Bamford is really was really well known for, like, her voiceover work for a while and Target commercials. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see J- Doug Jones. I mean, I think giving him praise like this is, like, the best we can do with him in the movie as far as, like, review-wise goes because there's not... I think he emotes a lot, and I think he does a good job with his physicality. It's really incredible. Um, he is the creature, but he's also the man. Well, yeah. And it's 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 worthy enough to like bring up this conversation. Yeah, and I, I and I think like, I mean it, like it we don't sparks that in my mind. No, and I mean that's the thing is I know we can't really talk too much about him, but. There is something to be said that a person can make me feel so much sympathy, empathy uh, in a film like this that can also terrify me like in Pan's Labyrinth because one of his characters in Pan's Labyrinth chills me to the bone to this day. Like, thank you. Yes, uh, I will. I will find a photo and tweet that shit or you can. you can just take a picture of me right now. Oh yeah, I can. I suppose. I suppose that's a thing I can do with technology. Hold on. Well, then you put your hands down when I try to do it. Um, yeah. So I mean, I do love that uh, about him, and I think he was very well utilized in this. Something I do like about Absolutely. Guillermo del Toro is I think he has a lot of interesting characters that aren't necessarily good or bad. They have selfish tendencies or cowardly tendencies, and but they are all powered by things that they believe in, whether they are good characters or bad characters. And I think I would love to start off talking about Michael Shannon's character, but my, I, I'm going to use this as a little bit of a segue just to see if you're okay with that. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Any, yeah, we can talk about the characters in, in the order in which it feels natural. All right, so um, so I love that about him. And he created one of the most terrifying characters in Pan's Labyrinth, uh, in, in the main villain in that, who is actually human, not a monster, which I think that's sort of the thing he does, is he, a big part of him is the supernatural isn't what is scariest. It is our need to be superior, that is scariest. And so Pan's Labyrinth takes place in the Spanish Civil War and there's an officer in there in in the film that is pretty much one of the most terrifying and evil people I've ever like encountered who believes in what they're doing, but really terrifying. And I was fascinated to see so many of similar comparisons in the character that Michael Shannon played. Um, but it felt very there were a lot of there were a lot of similarities. I felt like there was a lot of 
um, subtle elements as well, just in how they wanted to see women as silent or or innocent or passive. And so I, subservient. Yeah, subservient yeah. is a great word for that. Um, and so I found that Michael Shannon was this Americanized version of this character. And I was, having loved that movie, I was fascinated by how Michael Shannon did that role. I really like Michael Shannon, and but at him as Richard Strickland, I mean, it was really terrifying. And there were moments that I just, I, I full on almost vomited. And just, and they weren't to do with his character, they were to do with a character trait involving his fingers, yep, and coloring and noises. Guillermo del Toro does really good jobs with noises, like sound effects. Like, yeah. uh, the, uh, normally a noise can't make me like want to actually vomit, but it was close. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'd love to start on Michael Shannon as our main villain. I walked away being sad at the missed opportunities with that character because here's 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 the thing um the subtle critique through this film of cold war culture and the red scare and mccarthyism that plays out through michael shannon's character and through the uh the undercover russian scientist Bob, Do- uh, dr robert uh, hofstetler yeah right like Hofstetler, so it's okay that he's a Nazi, just not a comrade. I see. Well, it was they—they um, they don't want them cosmonauts doing anything, anything successful. Um, I think that that that's an interesting element and angle to play on. And listen, McCarthyism was bullshit. The black blacklisting of people was bullshit. It was all an overreaction through, you know military might and secrets that really did a number on the American people. However, there was a legitimate threat from the Russians. The Russians were doing terrible things to their own people. And I think the only way that you can have an honest critique of the Red Scare is the fact that it was a lot of like average Joe Americans being terrified. And I thought that they did a they had a wonderful opportunity in showing his family to give Michael Shannon some humanity in this role, something other than, I catch the monsters. I'm a jerk to women. I'm a rapey creep. I will repeatedly torture this clearly sentient creature with a cattle prod, essentially. And they, they did show his family. It's not like the scene didn't exist. The, it was, it but was instead, wasted. Now. Yeah, he was everything that's wrong with America. It got to the point where when he like started to when he put his hand over his wife while they were having sex to keep her quiet and when he bought himself the new car, I was like, "Okay, so this so he is everything that was wrong with America in the 1950s. That's who he is." And after that point, after he bought the car and everything, I was like, "There's never going to be depth here." To me, It was just a little too mustache twirly, Mm -hmm. just a little too, no, he's really bad. Every opportunity they had to show that he's bad, he was bad. And, you know, if he had taken a moment even with one of his kids to really be a good dad or to explain, because the way that things like the Red Scare succeed and the way like Trump gets elected 
is when good people are scared. When good people are scared, they'll do anything because they feel morally justified mm -hmm. in their attempts to do the right thing and protect their country yeah, or protect their family. Protect things or they love. Yeah. Exactly. But I didn't feel like he loved anything. I didn't feel like there was anything in his life that he cared about enough to justify it being this kind of all-American G-man type monster hunter. Like there wasn't that anchor and it pushed him for my taste, too close to caricature. There wasn't anything that justified why he would be like this at all. And that, so that made it hard for me. There it wasn't, wasn't a backstory to give his, give his, uh, why he was so volatile in that yeah, environment and, particularly. And I don't need everything explained to me by any means, but I just, I, I've seen a lot of reviews praising his, performance and i i personally i don't i don't get it because i think it's it's a good performance but the character itself is not no i think it was much more two-dimensional than i wanted and i think i would say that about him and which it sucks because you've got some i think he did a really great job of giving some lesser actors who haven't gotten that those moments to shine some really amazing things to work with but he had some really heavy hitters in Michael Shannon and Octavia Spencer and and they and were kind of they were them, pretty two-dimensional yeah like Octavia Spencer bitch about my husband be scared for my friend great I can do that and money please. and I mean I think she had some good moments and I think I get in a way, why he made that character that way. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you have... Who better to match up with that, uh, with a mute orphan than this woman and who wants to talk constantly? And, I mean, they worked. And it was this very interesting thing of, you know, they, they worked in their own way and everything. But she really... I had, she didn't have like a ton of growth. You knew she was going to do the right thing. Even when she seemed conflicted, you knew she was going to like help her friend. You knew she was going to, you know, punch her in, punch her out for the clock and tell her husband off, lie to Michael Shannon. Like you, you, you saw where that character was going and her conflict. Like I was, I don't know, give her a sick child, make her legitimately afraid for her job and her safety so that it's hard or maybe she doesn't do the right thing every time. It was just she's capable of so much more. She's so talented. Mm -hmm. Somebody give her a juicier role, please. Well, yeah, there was that moment where they uh, she she was saying something about being the, or they were talking about them being the help. And I just I felt like I'm like, are you guys winking to the audience right now? Right. This is what <laughs> happened after the They all turn look at the help. camera. And then go back to what they're doing. God, it's like the beginning uh, yeah. of Fuller House. Ugh. Oh, yeah, that's. Let's not. No, let's just not. Let's not. Um. So I think we've covered covered up pretty much what we can about. Uh, I think Richard Jenkins' character would be Giles. Giles, great name, great name. Pro I loved Giles. I think he had because Giles was real. He was real. <laughs> he was super flawed. Super, mm -hmm. but super relatable in a lot of ways. And just, you know, you could tell there was a lot he had struggled with. And he was a, he had moments where he really didn't come through for his friend. But there were moments of just like such pure emotion between the two of them that I loved. And probably my favorite scene that I'm going to like tear up just thinking about is the scene between Giles and, uh, 
and Eliza. Eliza. No, I, I knew her name was Eliza. I just, it's spelled <laughs> funny, and I was just going to bring up that it's spelled funny to me. Um, I don't know why. But uh, so Eliza and Giles are talking, and she's explaining why she wants to rescue him, rescue this monster, and her, her statement of, uh, he doesn't see me as incomplete because she's mute and she's signing all of this. And it's it's an amazing scene because there's very little talking. Like she's he's talking to her a little bit, but then she's saying like, say what I sign, say what I sign, don't say what you think. And like that, it was just, it, there was such chemistry between the two actors and there was such intensity between these two characters. And I just felt it like, that scene is why I went to movies when I was younger. The, that feeling yeah. of just being overwhelmed with emotion and and understanding, like feeling understood, because that's love. Like that's what we want, whether it's platonic or romantic, that's love. Feeling like you're an incomplete person and someone lo- doesn't see that, they see you as this beautiful person in their in their eyes, that's how they see you, not how you see yourself. Yep. Or how others. And yeah, I, I think that Giles was set up really well in that he had been hurt from the world and he had been hurt by the world and his response was to retreat and be sad. And Eliza was hurt by the world and her response was to live, mm-hmm. was to live more. And they, they match each other well in that regard. But um, his, uh, you know, his struggles with the ad agency, his beautiful artwork, his having the cats. Um, and like, the and his with dynamic the, with the, the monster is interesting. It is. I really enjoyed that, especially after the like bizarre thing with the pie shop owner that was, I mean, again, I think- very flat, where it's like, in case you didn't realize he's a jerk and a homophobe, we're going to have and a, a black and couple a come racist. In. <laughs> yeah, so just know. so that you know he's also a racist, so we can. Just in, we can check you know, that the one too. scene they got. Yep, right. Like, just so you know, this guy sucks. You know what You know what would have been better is if he actually didn't suck as much. He just couldn't reciprocate. Yes, that would have been so much more heartbreaking. It just feels when they go full on, and I think this might have also been Guillermo del Toro's want to be a little bit more mainstream, like to, because to, he's like, you know, it's his first real entrance into a like full-on film without a, a niche audience obviously um because like you're not gonna i mean people aren't gonna see crimson peak and then pitch perfect three like that's not these these are not the same people true but i also don't think this is gonna make more money than hellboy <laughs> oh no but i mean there is a specific type of person that sees hellboy right. i'm right. i'm staring at one and then if i look in my mirror i am also staring at one those are the people that see hellboy um, right. This is more awards baity mainstream. I mean, someone who saw a Meryl Streep yeah. film would also see this. Someone who saw a Meryl Streep film would not also see Hellboy. That's fair. And so, That's and fair. so, uh, I like that I just say a Meryl Streep film because whatever she's in that week, like she's gonna, she's. Well, I saw the post today, and it's the most I've ever enjoyed her in a movie. She was oh, I'm intrigued then. Um, um yeah. I did love Mamma Mia. Um, sorry. Uh, but I digress, like hard hardcore. I I would have liked it if he was a little bit nicer. But I think in certain roles, like he was sort of struggling on. I want this person to not be likable, and so I'm I'm gonna almost lay it on too thick to get this point across. Whereas I have to say the um, and we don't have to discuss it right now. But I have to say like the 
the Russian scientist, I felt like very, I really actually felt so much for. And that's more what I would have liked about this this, this pie shop guy was, is like someone who, you know, isn't gay, but doesn't, um, isn't, it, he's just clearly uncomfortable. And like the lack right. of comfort, is, and more him just realizing, I would have loved it if he came in and saw the guy making a, a, connect, a similar connection with someone else. And it was clear that it was just, it's about customer service. It's not about a connection, like of, of romantic uh, tendency. He doesn't have to be that an asshole. That happens all the time. It does. That happens all the time. My, my barista really likes me. I think I'm going to ask her out. Oh, she really likes everybody. Yep. Like that's, that's a real thing. And it's, yeah, the main problem with this is is the villains. Like Bob, scientist Bob mm-hmm. was uh better in that regard because he wasn't really villainous. But re- regardless, I think that um I think that Giles was a really good character to pair with her where he was so sad but she gave him so much hope and it really set up that she was so good at loving. She was a very loving person and it did a lot to have her sort of leave the nest and care about somebody else now and like forge her own life. It was almost like leaving your parents for a romantic partner. Like that's kind of how it came across her crossing the threshold and leaving her life with Giles behind. It was like leaving her dad. Amphibious man. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And, it, you, and you could tell that she meant that much to him. She was his best friend, daughter type person. Yeah, no, and that's, and and he helped her. He came around and helped her, and I don't know. I'd say, like, Eliza and Giles were definitely, like, my favorite part of this film, but I, I would say, I would say Bob is probably my third favorite part. I think he had some really interesting moments. I think he really, he was able to carry scenes that it wasn't just him, and he kept me guessing for quite some time. That scene with the cake in his apartment, like, I... Yeah. I felt a lot of things. I'm like, it, amazing to convey so much in boxer shorts. I think Bob was a little, I think everyone was a little too incompetent and Bob was a little too observant. Mm-hmm. That was my only critique from a writing perspective, but I, I enjoyed the performance. I thought it was good that he was conflicted and that he really was a scientist who cared about this thing first and foremost. That was who he was and the Russian spy stuff became more and more incidental. And the fact that he was a person first and a communist second went a long way with his character. And it was like the inverse of um, Michael Shannon, where he was like an, asshole an American first. good old boy first and a person like third or fourth. I'd say person like eighth. Um, probably. After like car that, owner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Attempted rapist. I mean, um, I, I mean, guy who washes his hands before he pees. What? The, no one like, does. I was that. that speech had me thinking though, where he's like, "There is a person. There are people who uh, wash their hands before uh, and uh, wash their hands after, and that's uh, but no one washes like bo- uh, like both times. It makes you question a man's capabilities or some shit i'm butchering this and i was like like, i get that that speech is trying to give us an an understanding of who that person is but it fails 
Yeah. I was just like, what does that mean? What does washing your hands before you go pee mean? Nothing. It means nothing. It means you don't understand basic hygiene or you care more about your penis than you do about, oh, actually, that's probably what it is. You care more about your dick than you do about, like, other people's uh, health because you don't give a shit about your yep. germs. That's actually, you care more about protecting yourself from the outside world than protecting the outside world from yourself. Yep. I just got it. I figured it out, guys. That's actually probably not at all what's going on. No, I, I would totally buy that if anyone in the history of the world washed their hands before they peed, especially because he puts his hands on his hips. Like, you can, at that point, you can just kind of free shake and you don't even need to touch. Um, yeah, you're just touching your penis for fun then. Right. That's title yeah. of our podcast. Just touching your penis for fun, pretty much. But I think Our tagline. For for all the faults, this movie is really carried on the shoulders of Sally Hawkins. Oh my god! And like for someone for who all barely the speaks. weird little things. Uh, okay, that like you you already touched on the scene where she says, "No, say what I sign." Like, I want to talk to somebody who speaks ASL and get a critique of her signing itself. But my mom her, could probably tell you her eyes, her body, her her just her whole being was in her signing in that moment. She was so fervently signing to him and she meant every every bit of it and up until the dance portion of it the musical number two when she did finally speak when it was like almost a song oh it was so good she was she was funny she was charming she was dangerous she was fully realized sexually. I was like, wow, we're going to start this movie off some, with her some masturbating. Uh, masturbating in the tub. Yeah, cool. I, 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 it set the tone, but I was like, did not expect that. Did, did I was not. Like, oh, Guillermo's trying to get us ready for when uh, when she bones a monster. Got I it. like her trying to explain I, 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 what, how she had sex with him. And I was like, mm, yeah, that was... That was, I mean, I was like, and that's why Octavia Spencer was cast. Yep. <laughs> so that we, we could hear about that and not go, wait, wait what? what? <laughs> like, we just were what like, okay, fuck? we can tolerate this. Or like, we can, this seems, this seems like something we can understand. Uh, she, yeah, there was such a depth to her character. Again, without words and having other people express things for her. But it wasn't like they were translating. It was like they felt so much what she was feeling. Like she was just radiating this viral empathy Mm -hmm. that they were compelled to tell other people what she meant or what she was, what she was thinking, what she was saying. And like she, she was able to just like in her face, like you could tell when she was being kind of whimsical. You could tell when she was being serious. You could tell when she was developing a plan. She was incredibly smart because everyone assumed that she was dumb. Yep. And like, she just was such a fascinating character. I loved Eliza. Like I loved, I loved the mystery in her backstory. I loved her empathy. I loved her tenderness and her fierceness. Like she was just, an amazing character and I honestly could have been just fine if she never spoke like I would have been totally fine with that um she was she deserves all the awards all the praise all the awards she better be nominated for an Oscar it'll probably go to Frances McDermott but really I think it'll... we'll get to that with our Oscars podcast well, um <laughs> I was thinking uh Shersha Ronan 
I think it, yeah. I think it might be her year. God, I am going to be pissed if Greta Gerwig and Jordan Peele get snubbed for the Oscars too. Um, the voting hadn't hasn't closed since that became controversial in the public yeah. spheres. Yeah, so, so I think it's a possibility. There's, there's a chance, but but yeah, I, I, I think there's a possibility. I'm not sure there's a possibility to win. I think this is Guillermo del Toro's year. I think you know he has fought many years for this. I think it is. I think he puts a lot into everything he creates because he does not do things half-assed. I yeah. I will laugh if Steven Spielberg wins, though. Not that I don't think, but like I mean, just I'm sorry. Just quickly, I saw the post today, and I love Steven Spielberg, but this I don't want to use the word pedestrian, but it was so much more about the script and the acting like his his direction was well i think good, i think he was probably was he was not, he was literally phoning it in cuz he was busy oh. overdoing ready player one it's it feels uh it 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 we'll talk about it when we talk about that movie but it, the direction was the most lackluster thing in um, an otherwise very very enjoyable movie it wasn't bad but it was not like standout yeah i'm going to see it, it. Probably next week, I think. We'll see. Solid. I think I think it'll be yeah. a next it'll be a next week a dare thing. Sounds about right. But speaking to this week a dare, if you were gonna rewrite this, what would you what would you do? Um I would probably I mean, we've sort of discussed a lot of the edits that I would have wanted. I would have wanted a little bit more of a three-dimensional character for Octavia Spencer and Michael Shannon, I would like maybe Octavia Spencer to have a little bit more concern about her own well-being in this situation because I think that is more realistic to that that time period because she is a black woman and she is she is incredibly self-assured for the position she's in. Whereas I feel like in in Hidden Figures that was not necessarily the case. And I right. think she really excelled in that role. Um, I like to think of this as a prequel to Hidden Figures and that she she left the man and she left the job and then she went back to school and she became a computer for NASA. Yeah, I think that's definitely what happened, actually. And, uh, and I'll get to why later. Um, uh, and then, uh, so I would love that because I know she's capable of it. Same with Michael Shannon. I would love to see, oh. sorry, I would have loved to see uh, a relationship with his son because I think that would, I would have liked a scene between, before he went out in the rain between him and his son, his son's watching the TV and something happens on the TV that terrifies him and like that fuels some sort of rage or some sort of protective nature and then you're like, oh, okay. Would have loved that and really could have done without the amphibian man dancing. I could have, I would have been actually really okay if it had just been Sally Hawkins, but it was. Yes. A hundred percent agree. You took the words right out of my mouth. Cut him from that number. Didn't take the words out of her mouth. Her. She, she spoke <laughs> the only time she spoke. It would have been perfect, but that was, it was silly. It was silly. Yeah, and I mean, it just was really, it felt out of place having him there. It cheapens it. Yeah, it does cheapen it. and Because it was so beautiful up until that point. Once he started, once he was in the shot, 
and dancing. You're like, uh, 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 oh, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was rough. And I kind of I kind of started eating my fried pickles at that point. That was that was when I was like, just need to just need to finish this and my wine. Eat through it. Eat through it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that, those are my main, I think that's all I really feel is necessary as much as the ending I liked and also didn't like, cause it felt like it was so, it, it was similar to Pan's Labyrinth in the way of it's like, it's happy if you can believe in things, if you can suspend some disbelief, but it also is it 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 just it was all collected in this nice little bow and i i guess i kind of would have liked it to be a little messier also i didn't like that bob totally sold them out like there was no reason for him to sell them out he was dying he was going to die he got shot in the stomach he was dead sorry got really loud there yeah and that i mean that kind of brings me to my big rewrite of michael shannon's character where it's like instead of the bob angle Make him more competent. Have him figure it out. Mm-hmm. Have him put two and two together. Or have his weird and... little assistant that kind of looked like Bradley Whitford maybe figure it out and then just yeah. be a bitch and tell him. A hundred percent. I think that fixing Michael Shannon is my number one complaint with this movie. Um, I think fixing Octavia Spencer was number two. Number three is fixing the pie guy. Because mm-hmm. that would add so much more for Giles if maybe Pie Guy is gay. He just is like, doesn't. He's not no, trying to. No, dude. Him. I, I, yeah. It's just like, no, yeah, I, yeah. I was flirting with you a little bit, but like, you're too old. For or me. you don't have enough hair. And then when he like, gets all that nice hair, maybe have the last scene actually be him walking in with another man of a suitable age for him and ordering a cup of coffee <laughs> and saying to his significant other. Sorry, the food here sucks. (laughs) And literally then cut to black. (laughs) (laughs) The food here sucks. Let's go somewhere else for fish. (laughs) (laughs) No, too soon. No. But the yeah, I think the that and you know, cutting him dancing would be would be huge. But really, really fixing Michael Shannon with one scene with his son and a little competence. You don't have to do much. I'll let you keep most of it. But just one scene with his son and let him talk about what his American dream is, why he's acting like this, what he thinks he's protecting. Mm-hmm. Like we don't also to talk about the post. People were lied to about the Vietnam War for 30 years and people thought they were pursuing one thing and doing one thing and that our nation was trying to accomplish one thing and we were really doing the other. Mm-hmm. Um and oh that's what the post is without about. Ex- noted yeah without explaining how michael shannon a relatively competent vicious intense person could be duped it just didn't uh it didn't hold up as far as as far as uh, a compelling he was just goes. so focused on losing his two fingers right i also could have done how without many... those fingers <laughs> i was gonna say out of uh out of five how many dead fingers would you give this movie give it i mean so if it's dead fingers is it is it bad then it's good it's still okay good. Uh, okay no, so the it's, more it's, dead fingers the better. okay okay so then i i'd probably give it four dead fingers yeah yeah 
four, maybe maybe the tip of the pinky as well. Um, yeah, I'd give it I'd give it three and a and a knuckle. Yeah, three and a knuckle. Yeah, that's a good way. Um, yeah, three. I'd give it three. And I half. think yeah, <laughs> solid. Nice. Yeah, it was such a it was a solid film, and I was I really did enjoy it. Like I did, I felt a lot of things, and I haven't really gotten. I'll watch it again. Yeah, and I haven't really gotten that that feeling like in a while seeing a film like i mean i get those feelings for like star wars and stuff like that but it's like more the the anticipation of that going back to something like a nostalgic anticipation but it was just something that just if it evoked a lot in me to like it inspired me and that's i think for me that is the biggest commendation i can give a film because that's why i love i started loving film when i was a kid was I remember being in those theaters by myself normally because no one in my family liked movies as much as I did. And and uh, just like be, being choked up because something that I thought only I was experiencing was so clearly portrayed on the film. I absolutely agree. I would say that this movie deserves to be in league with the classic films that they were watching. Mm-hmm. It felt like old Hollywood with more current sensibility in the best way possible. It was inspiring. It was enchanting. Um, I want to watch it again right now. But it wasn't in your face like the artist. Give me your uh, give me your alternate title. What would you call this one? Well, this is what I was actually talking about. Hidden Figure. <laughs> What's yours? Awesome. What's yours? Abe Sapien Origins. <laughs> See, I kind of thought you were going to go that route, so I stayed away from that. Well, I was going to make an Avatar The Last Airbender joke about water. But you kind of made it at the I beginning. I did that in the opening, yeah. and I had you, to think of something else. You're like, yeah, God, Adair, why did you why did you put me on the spot like that, as you always seem to do, and I'm constantly surprised by constantly on the spot with this one i know yeah seems, so i'm i'm excited uh, that we we got to discuss this film i'm excited for the oscar season now wasn't before this podcast but now thrilled to the moon i go yeah you can look forward to some upcoming movie reviews from us we're going to do the post we're going to do black panther real soon real um, soon i like how yeah, you, real soon. i feel like you and i are both like so the Black Panther is exciting and that it's leading us to Infinity War. Like, and that's exciting. But I don't feel like either of us is like super like, no, about the Black Panther. I, I'm always cautiously optimistic with the first solo yeah. film from a, from a superhero. Just because I don't like to be disappointed. So First and third but for me. That Oscars writing, we're going to keep talking about all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Tune in, share this with your friends. Uh, please review us. If yeah, you're we, we and don't get a chance. We don't ask for reviews, and I don't know if we have any. We've got a couple. Oh, do but we? We would like a few more. See, I just I don't even know. <laughs> I, I I I to be honest, have never looked at the reviews of any of my podcasts. I think it's like how celebrities I, I are like I don't read, I, I don't look myself up online. Well, you are a hundred percent a celebrity in this and many ways. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really glad that you finally acknowledged that. 
Uh, I'm going to go masturbate in the bathtub now. I'm not actually. Well, bye. Slow Claps and Rewrites is effortlessly produced by Daniel Crary and Adair Rice. Editing is executed by Daniel Crary to the best of his abilities. Slow Claps and Rewrites is a volume in the Secret Weapon Productions Library. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved in perpetuity. Like Mickey Mouse.